Hello, hello, y'all. Hey, it's me, Robin. And before we get into today's episode, I'm here to let you know that the club is open right now for new members. I'm going to take a couple minutes to fill you in on all that the club is offering right now. So if you know for sure you're not interested in joining the club, you're just going to want to hit the forward button a few times until you hear that baffling behavior show jingle. Okay, so the club is a virtual community for families of kids with vulnerable nervous systems and big baffling behaviors. Many families in the club are parenting kids with a history of complex trauma, but definitely not all. Some are parenting kids with vulnerabilities that emerge from their neurotype or their sensory system or their giftedness or their neuroimmune disorder. And of course, some have no idea why their child's nervous system is so vulnerable. The primary purpose of the club and why I've created it the way that I have is connection and co-regulation. Because when I reflect back on my time as a therapist, it wasn't the skills and strategies and tools and techniques I taught parents that mattered the most. What mattered most was how connection and co-regulation strengthened their owl brain so that they could stay more regulated in the face of the chaos in their home. Then they could, number one, actually use the tools, and number two, start to feel a little bit better even before the tools started to work. The club can be accessed online both through your browser on your computer and through an app. And it's open, of course, 24-7. There's a very active forum, a huge video library, and multiple live events every month. Sometimes I teach a masterclass on a specific topic. Sometimes we come together for group coaching or just to ask questions and pick, pick my brain. We have two sessions every month called Connect and Co-Regulates, and those are designed to offer exactly that. There's no teaching, no coaching, just a place for you to be seen and heard by people who get it. Currently, we are also offering once a month bonus sessions for siblings of dysregulated kids. The club is intended to be kind of like a buffet. There is a ton in it, not because you're supposed to do everything in the club. You take what you need when you need it and come back when you're ready for more. If you could use a little extra support, consider joining us. You can read all about all the details over at robingobel.com slash the club. I'll put a link in the show notes And we're open today until the end of the day, Friday, May 3rd. All right, y'all, here's that episode you're waiting for. Hey, 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 super thrilled you're here with me again today on the Parenting After Trauma podcast. Maybe this is a welcome back or maybe this is just a welcome. Whatever it is, I, I really can't overstate how excited I am to be connecting with you and to be building this community of, of change makers out in the world. Today's episode continues our Strengthening the Foundation of the Brain series with guest Mandy Jones from the Theraplay Institute. I'll let Mandy introduce herself and Theraplay. So I'll just give you a little teaser that Theraplay is a modality that changed the way I worked with families and changes families. You're going to want to hear all about the power of Theraplay, both in and out of the therapy room. I'm Robin Goebel. I'm the founder and the host of this Parenting After Trauma podcast, where I take the science of being relationally, socially, and behaviorally human and translate that for parents of kids who've experienced trauma. I'm a psychotherapist with over 15 years of experience working with kids who have experienced trauma and their families. I'm also a self-diagnosed brain geek relationship freak. I study the brain kind of obsessively and even taught the science of interpersonal neurobiology and a certificate program. I started this podcast on a whim with the intention to just get you free accessible support as fast as possible. So this podcast is fancy and I do very little editing. It's very common to hear a cock a doodle do in the background. If you love this episode, definitely add Parenting After Trauma to your favorite podcast player and then share it with your friends and colleagues. 
After you do that, head over to my website and get the free ebook that I wrote all about the brilliance of attachment. Readers of this ebook are saying that not only is the book beautifully laid out and easy to read, but it's offering a perspective on attachment that they've never heard before. And that's changing things for them. You can download the ebook for free at robingobel.com slash ebook. And while you're on my website, you are definitely going to want to check out my calendar of upcoming trainings for both parents and professionals at robingobel.com slash trainings. Today's episode with Mandy Jones from the Theraplay Institute is sponsored by The Club, my virtual community of connection, co-regulation, and of course, a little education for parents of kids impacted by trauma. Now, also the reality is, is that The Club has grown way past that. It's probably more accurate to say that The Club is for parents of kids with big, baffling, challenging behaviors. Right now, the club is in the middle of a three-month exploration into attachment that is truly blowing me away. It's been so overwhelming to be a part of this amazing community. I mean, the way these parents and also the professionals, too, are bravely showing up for each other and themselves has completely exceeded what I ever thought was possible. If you need to feel seen, to be gotten and understood we would love to have you. The club opens for new members approximately every three months, and we'll be opening our doors again in the fall of 2021. If you head to robingobel.com slash the club, you'll be able to add yourself to the waiting list. You'll be the first to new when the club opens up. All right, let's get going. I met Mandy Jones years and years ago when I finally trained in TheraPlay. Sometimes you meet people and you immediately know, oh, you are my people. And that's what it was like with Mandy. We've grown into personal and professional friends. And when COVID finally truly recedes, I'm positive I'll be back in Chicago visiting Mandy and connecting with everybody at the Therapy Institute. When I finally got Therapy trained, I was struck at how almost everything about the Therapy model is rhythmic, repetitive, relational, and somatosensory, which is what we've been talking about, right? In this Strengthening the Foundation of the Brain series. If you're catching this episode and haven't gone, you know, done to the, some of the previous episodes, uh, you're going to want to go back and and hear the episode on the neurodevelopmental approach, which was three episodes ago. And the last episode was how the brain stem heals, where we really talked about this rhythmic, repetitive, relational, somatosensory experiences as experiences that contribute to the healing and organization and strengthening of this lowest part of the brain. I mean, TheraPlay is literally designed with the intention to help strengthen the foundation of the brain and the foundation of relationships. I'm super excited to introduce you to Mandy and have you learn all about TheraPlay as a possibility for your family. Here we go. Hey, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're going to have fun. So as you know, I'm doing this series on kind of like strengthening or building the foundation of the brain. Like, um, Mm -hmm. and so when I went and thought about, okay, so what kinds of things I want to offer to my audience in this series, obviously TheraPlay was at the very, very top of my list. So tell all of my listeners, you know, who you are, the work you do, and then we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. So I am Mandy Jones. I am the program director at the TheraPlay Institute. Um, so I'm a licensed clinical social worker um, in Chicago, because uh, I recognize your audience is probably from all over the all place. Over. Yep. All over. I'm a registered play therapist, and I'm also an attorney, though that lawyering thing is kind of not my my main jam. Um and I am a certified TheraPlay practitioner, trainer, supervisor, doing all of the things TheraPlay. TheraPlay is a part of every facet of my life. Yeah, I mean, I will do other types of play therapy in my work, but really TheraPlay is pretty much what grounds everything I do. So the TheraPlay Institute is located in Chicago, though we are a worldwide organization. We have um, TheraPlay practitioners around the globe. We have trainers, supervisors all over the world. 
Um, so it's really a very cool community to be a part of this really um, accepting, inclusive um, organization of professionals that support children, families, schools, other providers. And so you and I met because you were one of my therapy trainers all those years ago and just have been lucky enough to, to stay in touch and develop a a relationship with you. So that this was, you're the obvious choice for me as far as like, <laughs> who can we, who can I have fun talking about therapy with? And then of course, that you're with the Institute um, in Chicago is lovely as well. So tell my audience, like what is therapy? Theraplay is a dyadic treatment for supporting children and families and really focusing on the relationship between children and families as the agent for healing. So we don't think about um, kids and parents don't, don't function in a vacuum, right? Like everything from the moment a child is conceived impacts is, impacts parents and obviously impacts baby. And so um, we think about if a child is experiencing anxiety, ADHD is in the autism spectrum. Um, if we can use the strength of the parent child relationship, we can, affect change, whatever the change needs to happen. So it's not like we're just for one, um, one mental health need or one type of family um, because, and that's why their play is so global. It's because every community raises children. Every culture raises children. We do have to make changes and adaptations based upon the culture and based upon family makeup, but really focusing on connection, attunement, co-regulation, all of that stuff that underlies attachment is really what a TheraPlay is seeking to build and creating uh, that felt safety between parent and child um, allows the parent and child to then heal in whatever form that healing needs to take. I wanted to pause the episode real quick and read you this testimonial from one club member. This person writes in, the club has been life-changing for me. For me, feeling alone in the stress and the overwhelm of parenting a child with complex trauma has been traumatic. Here in the club, we are finding healing for ourselves by feeling seen and heard and validated, even though we may have come here for our children's healing. Oh, y'all, that is exactly what I'm trying to do in the club, to create a space that's for you that also brings healing to your kids. So the club's open for new members until April 28th. We'd love to have you. RobinGobel.com slash the club. All right, let's get back to the episode. So a couple episodes ago, I talked about how the, like this lowest, most foundational part of the brain is experience based. It's rhythmic. It's, um, in the here and now. Mm -hmm. So tell us about how that fits therapy in a way that it might not be exactly the same way. Other kinds of play therapy is, unfold mm-hmm. in the therapy room? Like how are they different? Yes. Why is TheraPlay something that we would think about when we think about that like foundational part of the brain? Sure, sure. So TheraPlay is based on four dimensions, the four dimensions being structure, engagement, nurture, and challenge. And we look at these in the context of the parent-child relationship. So for example, taking structure as our first dimension. Um, and by the way, these are not hierarchical, hierarchical, hierarchical. you know what Something. I mean? <laughs> they are not in a hierarchy. Let's say it that way. So one is not more important than the other, but that they really work together, um, in, in creating a sound, um, relationship and the foundation for life between parent and child. And so taking structure as just the first dimension I'm going to pull out, um, when babies are born, they don't come out with a Google calendar or an eye calendar or anything like that, or a day planner that says, this is how my day goes. Um, but as humans, we do better when we know what's coming. We don't do well with unknown. 
Um, and that's, I, I would, as a side digression real quick, I think a piece of why COVID has been so hard is because we don't know what's coming next. Right. And it's created a lot of anxiety for people. Kids are no different. When kids know what are, what's coming, they function better. They feel safe. They feel secure, both in themselves and their environment and with the people around them. And so parents with itty bitty babies start that structure without even realizing it. So we think about what are some of the very first things that parents do when they bring babies home, they get them onto some sort of schedule, right? They get them onto a feeding schedule, onto a sleeping schedule. A big piece of that is for babies, but the other part is for parents to not lose their ever loving minds, right? Because if parents don't sleep, nothing works. And so when we know what's coming, when we know what's expected, when we know when we go into an environment, what to expect, we function better. And so structure is such a big piece of supporting children. And so um, that's something that is very different from other types of play therapy, such as client-centered, where there isn't structure to it and that the child is put, you know, sent into a room. They've got the support from the therapist with them or sometimes the parent with them. But it's up to the child to decide what they're going to do. That can be really, really overwhelming for a lot of kids. And so really our, our structures, we're planning all of our sessions. We are, we are going to be the bigger, stronger, wiser, kinder person in the room that's got the world taken care of. We've got this so you don't have to worry, little one. Um, and so for kids who didn't have that or for parents who themselves are not super structured, this is really, really helpful in creating that sense of felt safety of I don't have to manage the world because my parent has managed it for me. Um, so that's one piece that makes their place so very different. Um, yeah, so I want to pause and just talk about one unique piece of that there, which is because you use the word client centered. And when I think about TheraPlay, I usually describe it as therapist led, but still extremely client centered as Absolutely. far as the attunement. And in fact, I, I, not to say one is harder than the other, but I will say as a, as a practitioner myself, that TheraPlay is a very advanced intervention to mm-hmm. be so solidly therapist led while also being so attuned because to be that therapist led, but with not great attunement, right is not a great setup for the therapy room and Absolutely. doing both is so hard. Um, and I know that, and you probably get this even more than me because you're with the Institute, but there's a lot of misconceptions both about child center play therapy, but also about TheraPlay yeah. and that I can hear child ther- TheraPlay talked about as if it isn't client centered. Um, right. And I just find that to be like, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, yeah. So I, I want to toss that part out there that, that simply because it's not considered child centered play therapy, because that's language that's specific to a very one, very specific modality does not mean therapy is not child centered. It just happens to be therapist led because of this structure piece that you are talking about. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so that um, probably was not your intention to segue into attunement being a huge piece of engagement. Engagement being our sec- or, or another dimension is that every, so going back to that infant, that baby, baby doesn't come out with, with language, right? They don't come out saying, mom, I'm hungry right mm-hmm. now. Dad, I would like to be held. Um, grandpa, I'm a little cold right now. Can you please get me a blanket or use your body to keep me warm? That's not what babies do, right? They, they give all sorts of cues to what their needs are. And that attuned parent is able to read those signs. They look yeah. at baby and say, oh, honey, oh, I know that cry. That cry means that you're hungry. Or very early on when all the cries sound the same, they go through the, the list, right? right? Of I know baby's not okay. I know they're wiggling, they're moving, they're, cr- they're scrunching up their face. They know yeah. they're not okay. So I go through the, the mental checklist. Hungry, no, just fed them. Diaper, nope, that's okay. Um, temperature, no, that's fine, okay. Tired, oh, maybe. 
but mm, they just napped. Okay, let me see. What do I have to do to make baby okay? That's all attunement because I'm watching everything about baby's face, their body, their posture. What sort of sounds are coming from their mouths? Are they making eye contact with me? Are they looking away? All of that is, is me focused so intently on my baby that nothing in the world matters, right? When you think about when parents first bring baby home from the hospital, it doesn't matter if the phone's ringing off the hook. It doesn't matter what's on TV. Mm -hmm. I don't care at all about my emails. All I care about is baby and me in that moment, right? And so what we try to do in therapy is recreate that experience, but we're trying to recreate those moments um, that when you're in the room together, it is just me, you, and the world. That's all that yeah. matters. So that's what makes it so very child or client-centered, whichever word you want to use, um, and really brings in that high, high level of attunement is what is your child telling us without using their words? Sometimes our kids do use their words, mm-hmm. but the expectation in their play is not language-based. If they do happen to use their words, great, we're going to attend to that, we're going to attune to that. But I'm not going to expect a child to tell me I want to do this or I I like this experience because everything about their body tells me that, right? If they're smiling, if they're engaging, they're continuing with the activity, their body is in a state of regulation. All that tells me they like this. They're cool with this activity. They're cool with this connection. They're good in this place with me. And so that's as much as we do that with infants, we're trying to recreate that for kids who didn't have that optimal experience for whatever reason. So it is absolutely so, so highly client centered, but it's the therapist is leading it, which I think is where um, for some clients and some practitioners, well, it's like, well, they're not the same. And that's true. They're absolutely not the same, but they're also accomplishing very different things. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So structure engagement. Yep. So you may have heard that the club is open today for just a few days for new members. And I wanted to share with you what this club member said about her time in the club. This member says, I was way more successful handling a stressful situation than I would have been a year ago. And it is truly a result of the material I've learned through Robin and the club. Oh my gosh, y'all. I love, love, love hearing that. There's no way that we can promise that the stress from your kids is going to change because we're just not in control of anybody else but ourselves. But what we can do is work to change how we respond to those stressors. And that's what we do over in the club. We are open for new members from now until the 28th of April, and we would love to have you. Nurture is our next one. So nurture is thinking about baby. This is probably the easiest to conceptualize, right? It's all the things that we do to keep baby alive. It's the the feeding, the changing diapers, baths, um, baby cries, and I pick them up. And no one tells parents when they go home from the hospital that they should take them and bounce and go shh, 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 shh or sway side to side, but somehow every parent around the world knows that you, you, you pick up your body, you use your body, pick up baby and you move. Different cultures will have different sounds that they make to soothe baby, but no one, it's a global thing that every caregiver does Mm -hmm. to soothe an infant. And so that's all what nurture is. So when we've got a slightly older kid Um, I'm never going to tell a child who comes to me and says, oh, I have an ouchie. I cut my finger right here. I have a bruise. And you look at it and you're like, I don't see anything. They're telling me, I need you to take care of me. I need some love in from you. I need some some connection, some comfort from you. Band-aids are cheap. So I so many band-aids of all different colors for skin types, skin colors, characters, what have you. I've got all of them. And that couple of seconds of putting that bandaid on that kiddo and, and recognizing, acknowledging, I see you, I, I hear you, you just need some, some comfort and I'm here to provide that. That's what that nurture piece is. Um, because even as grown ups, we still need nurture. That's something that 
you know, I think we maybe miss um, as grownups that we don't think or pay as much attention to how good it feels to get a hug or how much we need to be held sometimes. And of course, there's a spectrum, which Robin, we could do a whole different podcast on <laughs> touch and connection to our attachment style yes. and how yes. we function and how touch plays into that. But yes. for our kids, that is so, so very important. Um, and so touch is a really big piece of their play too, yeah. um, which I know can be challenging for some practitioners. It can be challenging for parents and it can be challenging for kids, but um, touch is so incredible for our, for our lives and our functioning and our well-being. And if we don't touch and aren't touched. There's tons of research that shows that it shortens our lives. It increases mental health issues if we aren't touched or held. And again, thinking about why has COVID been so hard? It's another piece of it. We haven't been able to touch or hold people outside of our homes for 18 months. And that's just not the human condition. Yeah. I mean, I know our skin is like our biggest organ. It's our biggest sensory organ. It's this huge way we regulate, you know, with our, with our skin and and with touch. Um, And so I also am thinking of this funny aside that we were at Costco in the last couple of weeks waiting in line at the pharmacy. So we were in like that section of pharmacy section. And my husband picks up this like enormous, like Costco size thing of band-aids, but they were adorable. They were like glittery and sparkly and colorful. And it was like this huge, enormous array of, of fun band-aids. And he's like, oh, like if you were seeing clients right now, you would need this. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, this is, I almost want to buy it just because it was so like, they were just the most gorgeous band-aids. And so I'm like, <laughs> Isn't that funny? I just talked about gorgeous band-aids. So if there are any therapy therapists listening to this, run to Costco because it was this really cool, like so many really fun band-aids because same as you. Like I always just had, you know, tons of them. So many different kinds of um, fun. Yeah. Whatever that is and lots of different kinds of band-aids. Yeah. And if you're out as as a parent, if you're out and about and don't have band-aids on you, although pro tip, always keep a couple in your wallet, always, either for a kid or I tend to wear shoes that are cute, but not practical. And so they're great for band for blister coverage. But any, anyways, um, it's so great to be able to stop on the spot and throw a bandaid on you. You're out and about and it's your kid needs something right there in the moment. Slap a bandaid on it. You continue through your day. Um, but even if you don't have a bandaid on you, that acknowledgement that taking a second to look at their hand or their arm or their knee, even if you don't see any abrasion and give a small kiss to it, be like, oh, I know. And I, in therapy sessions will be like, you know what? Mommy kisses cure everything. Yeah. It's fact. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. So structure, engagement, nurture, and challenge. So challenge is, I think the one that's probably often the most misconceptualized. And so the misconception comes from challenge, making it sound as though it's competition, which it's not. Right. The idea of challenge is that we, as, as the parents are, um, we are the first ones to set up our child's self-esteem, confidence, competence, their, their identity of themselves in a lot of ways. And so We, you know, with itty bitty babies start out with simple things like taking our baby's arm as they're laying on the changing table. And how big are you? So Mm -hmm. big. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is engagement of I see you, I'm here with you, I'm present with you. But then another piece of that is challenge in that I'm challenging your small little arms to grow and to stretch, right? Or I'm thinking about the first real challenge activity for babies is tummy time. Some babies love it. Some truly hate it. But I'm challenging your body to grow. I'm challenging your body to to be strong and healthy. And so what can I do to support that, to make that that experience more tolerable for you and pleasurable in some ways? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. can I lay, as I put you in tummy time, rather than just putting you on your tummy time mat and I go off and do dishes while you lay there for a couple of minutes, can I lay on my tummy there with you and make silly faces at you or play with your hands? So I'm in this moment with you. And so that is going to help this child to feel like, wow, I can do this when my parent is here with me. I can, you know, the, the bar is set at a place where my parents sees me. 
And so when we're setting expectations for our child, we want the bar to be set, not that it's so low that we can't achieve or that it's easy to achieve, but not so high that it can't be achieved, right? Right. And so that's really setting the foundations for our child's self-esteem and confidence and competence. And it's up to us as parents to identify the kiddo in front of us. Who is my child? What are their capabilities versus what do the books say they should be doing? Or what do my niece and nephew, what are the other kids in class able to do at this age versus who is my child and what are their capabilities and really identifying their, where they are developmentally and setting the expectation of what's right for them. So in a lot of ways, this stuff overlaps. So mm-hmm. I already mentioned one overlap, but like another one that's an, an overlap between nurture and challenge is so many parents have so many battles in the morning or, at, mm-hmm. you know, at night. I'm thinking like the morning challenge of the, we got to get to school, get your shoes on, get your mm-hmm. shoes on, get your shoes mm-hmm. on. And parents are like, I'm so frustrated by the time we walk out the door because I told them 15,000 times to put their shoes on. Yes. And my answer to that would be, well, there's something going on for your kiddo that that expectation in the morning is maybe too high. Yes. I don't know without knowing your child what that is, but it's an opportunity to recognize I've set the challenge too high. The expectation is too high in this moment. I can throw in some nurture and some playfulness, but being like, huh, I wonder if we can get our shoes on at the same time mm-hmm. or oh, I know I'm going to put your shoe on, but first I'm going to put a kiss on the bottom of your foot. I'm going to put your shoe on. Now my kiss is going to stay with you all day. And then when they come home from school, taking their shoe off and did the kiss stay in all day? I got it. So there's some nurture, there's some engagement, but there's really that, that challenge that underlies it. And so I think some of those things, while we, we do activities in the fair play room, the goal is to make the parent the expert and they are the expert in their child, not to make them, but they already are. And so how can we help the parent to take some of these concepts of structure, engagement, nurture, and challenge and infuse them into every aspect of their lives, which is so different from other types of play therapy, because we're going back to, like you said, Robin, that, that bottom-up approach, the, the brain-based parenting is my child, if they're not functioning well, we have to go back to basics and basics are what we did with our infants. Yes. And how do we how do we redo that in a way that's age appropriate for our kiddos? Yes. I mean, I think there's so much about therapy that I find so brilliant. And one is that the model has taken these, you know, structure, you know, nurture engagement. They've taken these um, domains and made like or, or paired them in a way with these specific activities. Okay. So there's mm-hmm what XYZ, that's an engagement activity or some of them overlap. But if you take a step back from them and look at like, let's, you know, activity aside, sure. We're blowing feathers back and forth. Okay. But let's, what's really happening when we're blowing feathers right. back and forth, right? Like right. what's really going on under there? Not to mention the, and this is why therapy is such, I feel like such an advanced modality for a practitioner, the intensity of the attunement about where is the bar being set, Right. Especially when our kids like chronological age is not matching their right. developmental age kind of globally or just even in that moment. Right. Like maybe last week in session, you know, a kid was participating in these activities without much difficulty. But then this week is like, oh, my oh, my gosh, what's happening here? And these right. in the moment ways that we have to stay so attuned, not only to just our specific kid, but our specific kid in this exact moment. Right. And then how do I like raise or lower the bar or the expectation so that my child can be successful and not successful at completing the task, but like successful in this relational experience. Absolutely. Right. Right. And and <laughs> to yeah. make things even more complex for the practitioner, but so important for the parents is how do I use myself to support this child? How do I use my body? How do I use my eyes? How do I use my tone of voice? What do I do with my face and my entire functioning to support that connection between the two of us so that my child can be like you said, successful in this relationship and successful in this moment of feeling okay with themselves, feeling felt, experiencing felt safety. 
um, and knowing that they're okay in this world um, because we've made it so by using our sense of self. And so that's another piece that for practitioners doing fair play, you're not just attuning to the child. You're not just recognizing what's going on with the kiddo, but making sure that parents are okay because as the practitioners, we need to attune to how parents are doing too, because if parents aren't okay, kids aren't okay. So that is such a huge part of what happens in our therapy work. And we really start by focusing on the parents and focusing on parents' needs because parenting is hard. Yeah, Parenting is so hard, even in the absolute best of circumstances. Yes. Parenting is hard. So, yes. And I bet it's, you know, if we made a list, all the things I love about therapy, number 496 would be <laughs> that it is about empowering parents to be the expert, just like you said, that they already are, that, mm-hmm. that parents, when it's appropriate for the parent-child relationship, and it isn't always, you know, at the moment, that stage of therapy, you know, occasionally I have had families where it made sense, like, let's all do some work separate and then come back together. But bringing parents and kids together and really empowering the parents to be like, no, you, you are who your child needs Mm -hmm. and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you, you know, because um, just like you said, in the best of circumstances, this is hard. And when we're parenting kids with trauma histories, sometimes the messages are really mixed or sometimes it's just so exhausting that parents like, of course, they're like, I just can't, like, I can't attune. I don't understand. I'm confused. And so I love the way that therapy really brings the therapist in to be um, connected to and a huge support and advocate of the parents and mm-hmm. their role right. um, with the child. That the therapist isn't, it, you know, starts the therapist-child relationship as a way to kind of begin things, but then is really working at how can... I make a parent the dominant experience here. Right. And so often parents are coming in to our rooms with their own stuff. They're the only parenting experience any of us have ever had is how we were parented. We might even look at, we can look at our partners. We can look at our siblings. We can look at our friends. No one had the experience that we had and we had no one else's experience. We can hear other people's parenting experience. I think even like I already said, even within the same household, siblings don't have the same parenting experience. And so when we become parents, the only experience we're bringing into that is how we were parented. Good, bad, or otherwise, it's, it's what we're working with. And those pathways that were laid down in the brain of how we were parented is where we start. Whether it's we look at what our parents did and we're like, wow, my parents were great. I am a solid human. I've got a nice, secure attachment. My parents are rock star parents. So I'm going to do a lot of what they did. That's not often the case, but where it is, you're like, love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah, those are also people who are generally not coming into our therapy rooms. Exactly. So the people who are coming into our therapy rooms are the ones who have had something not great. And it's not necessarily rising to the level of abuse or neglect, but it could be the dismissive parent. It could be the parent who was a single parent and had to work four jobs in order to keep a roof over the head and food on the table. And it meant that they weren't present, not because they didn't want to be, but because they're human. Right. Right. And so then for that parent who that was their experience of being parented, what are they bringing to their child? Maybe they have more resource stability and they can be more present for their child, but they don't know how because they didn't have that modeled for them. So how can we support that? How can we rebuild that for the parent who wants to be a different type of parent? And I think that's where there's so much strength in therapy because it it doesn't just heal one person. It heals. I mean, there's generational trauma that can be healed that way. And so if I don't empower the parents, the people who are with them majority of their time, then I, I feel like there's such a big, it, it, my work is so minimal. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I mean, I really love that part about, you know, some parents when they come to our offices really need to be reminded and maybe even taught for the first time about how important they are. Like you're so important that I don't want you to sit in the waiting room. Like I want you here with me. And, and again, I, I do occasionally do individual work with clients for various reasons. 
But even when that choice is made, it is still within the context of the family experience. You know, it's a very thoughtful choice. It's a very deliberate choice. Right. It's still keeping the family like front of mind, you know, there's yeah. never this experience where it's like, you're not a part of this process. Right. Drop right. your kid off to me one hour a week and I'll work my magic and send them home to you. Quote unquote right. fixed. It's right. not, it's not work that way. No, no. So one of the things I've been talking about a lot in this series, cause I've uh, you know been hearing Dr. Perry. I, I don't know that he's recently talking about this or if I've just recently really picked up on it, you know, like it's really landed with me recently, mm-hmm. but he's been talking a lot about this idea of moments of healing. And I mm-hmm. just love that, that first of all, especially with, you know, people, children, adults with histories of trauma and especially relationship trauma, there's only so much like attunement and relational experience one can take before it's oh, too sure. much. Right. Right. And right. so, you know, 45, 50 minutes once a week in a therapeutic hour is that, really the best model for bringing healing, especially to folks who have the kinds of experiences that would necessitate some like lower brain organization or regulation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so even though therapy does occur in the therapist's office, you know, let's say once once a week, it's so applicable outside Mm -hmm. the office. And I know so much of, of our work as therapy therapists is how, how do I empower this parent to take right. these concepts, either the, like the specific activities or not just the concepts from the activities, right? So that their kids are getting this like moments of healing mm-hmm. throughout the entire week. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Cause what happens in the therapy room is really a microcosm for the rest yeah. of life. Right. Yes. So you're having a really hard time getting your child to listen to you that day. Well, can I shift and just be more playful? Is it, what am I, what is it that I'm trying to get my child to do that they're not listening and what could be underlying that, that I can shift how I'm seeing this problem right now and come at it with a different tactic, a different response. That's their play. That's what that is. It is so much of what we do is play. And the, I mean, I thinking about the different ways that we interact with kids play is their natural language. So as grownups, we tend to go so cognitive and we try to logic with children, but if we can stop and be playful and engage and connect that tantrum is going to end a whole lot quicker than trying to use our logicking. And so I think that that's another really important lesson um, whether you're doing fair play or not to just think about the playfulness that's so important for kids. Cause that's their language. Yeah. And then sometimes like that real life example, like sometimes the playfulness doesn't stop a tantrum. And so we it just doesn't. are there. We're just present. We offer co-regulation, mm-hmm. we offer structure containment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. and the same thing is true in the therapy room. Like I'm, I'm sure you've had more of these experiences <laughs> than me because you've been doing it more than me of like, well, that didn't go anywhere nope. close to what we nope. would call ideal. In fact, that entire 45 minutes was a disaster. Yeah. You and, know what? That's real life. Well, we were in rupture, weren't right. we? You know what? Next time I see you, we're going to come back and repair and it's going to be fine. Yeah. Because that's real life that we have days when we're off. And I think that's something that I work with parents a lot too, is acknowledging that even as grownups, we have days where we just can't do something. Yep. I mean, thinking of how many times, uh, you know, actually this morning being one of them, I woke up after I got out of the shower, I'm, you know, getting ready and I flopped back down on the bed after it was made. And I was like, I don't know that I want to do today. I don't just, I just don't want to do today. My partner was like, yeah, but don't you have meetings? I'm like, <laughs> but you know what, as grownups, we acknowledge that. Right. And sometimes if we didn't have meetings, is today a day I could have worked from home. Is there something I could have adjusted to make myself feel better, to um, to be able to be okay, right? You know, I'm thinking about two pre-COVID when we all had more active social lives. Um, you know, you'd have a, a plans to go out with friends or something after work. And then the day hits you like a ton of bricks and you're like, I got to cancel. I just can't. I need to just lay on the couch. I, I don't have mental space to be social. And we say, okay, and we cancel things, but we don't give those same permissions for our kids. 
Yes. That no, we made a commitment. We go through with it. Yeah, but they're they're little humans too. And so I think that commitment is really important of recognizing my kiddo's having a tantrum right now. And it's not a punishment to say that they can't do the next thing. I'm attuning to them and realizing they truly can't do whatever next thing is. And that's okay. We'll try again later. It's not a punishment. Yeah. So as we're recording this, it's it's the end of summer and we're moving into the school year. And I'm adding that because I think it's some context for this little story, which is that my, um, my own son, who's a teenager has been just a little bit grouchier the last couple of days, a little quicker to be irritable, maybe a little mouthier. And because we know him, we've been able to like, go, huh, this is weird. Like, I wonder what's up with that and stay, you know, curious about it. Well, also Mm -hmm. like, dude, like, this isn't okay, but right. also like, what's up with that? You know? And it lasts a couple of days. And finally he said to me, like, I don't know what's going on. I just know I am, you know, like angrier and more irritable than usual. Um, and I'm sorry. And I was like, you know what? That is just about being human, right? Like how often right. am I cranky and irritable and really can't say exactly why? Right. But that I just am. I just am. And if I was more focused on like discipline for, I mean, I can set a boundary. I mean, honestly, I don't even need to set a boundary because the, he knows that there's an expectation about how we talk to each other in this family. <laughs> but he also knows there's an expectation about how like we give each other a lot of grace when we're having a bad day and we don't take it personally or assume that someone needs a punishment. Right. Right. And exactly. My guess is that it's the end of summer and we're getting ready to start the school year. And even though I don't know that he can articulate, like the transition is feeling stressful. My guess is that is what's Mm -hmm. happening. And so he's just a little salty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and adding into the, the hormones that is being a teenager and you're like, there's a, an element of all teenagers ha- struggling with mental illness, AKA hormones, right? That there is no logic to hormones. <laughs> really? This is news to me. No, not news. No, not news. Anyone who- very familiar. Yeah. Right. That you're like, um, cool. You were Dr. Jekyll yesterday and now you're Mr. Hyde. What happened? Oh, right. Hormones. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that I think, I think you're absolutely right though, that we are, it's harder to give that same level of, I don't know if you want to call it grace, but to to kids who are having Mm -hmm. a bad day, like we, like sometimes I'll even say to parents, like, you know, I think it's okay if we kind of just jump off the trigger train here. Like, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that you want to know, like why it makes so much sense for so many reasons. And sometimes the why is who knows why. Right. It's just hard right now. It's just and hard just right now. True. Right. Yeah. yeah. And just coming back to what can, what can I do? Can I create felt safety? Will that, will that help in this situation? Will playfulness help in this situation? We'll just be yeah. sitting silent and just being present, just being here. Yeah. Is that what's going to help this situation? Or yes. some kiddos, especially once they become teenagers, just need some space but know that I haven't left. Even when we give kids space, it's the, I'm right on the other side of the physical door or metaphorical door that I haven't left you, but I recognize your need for space. And I'm going to open you or welcome you back with open arms as soon as you're done taking the space you need. Right. And through some miracle, all of these kinds of skills are taught through blowing bubbles and feathers and karate chopping newspaper and I know. <laughs> and not only that, but doing those things sometimes with like big kids, teenagers. Oh gosh. Yeah. 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 So, okay. There's something else I want to touch on because um, I find this to be the most interesting parallel process between therapists and kids and parents and kids, meaning we have the same experience as the parents do, which is that let's just be honest here. Therapy is exhausting. Oh right? gosh. Yeah. Like in a perfect world, when I'm scheduling my clients, I'm aware 
of how many therapy clients I have in one day and not having yep. them back to back. And therapy is an exhausting way to do therapy. It is, I will just say way more exhausting than doing, you know, like a day of like more traditional child-centered play therapy or even a day of something like EMDR or yep. um, those other kinds of modalities. And it is so true for parents that parenting kids in this way, like parenting kids with this level of attunement, the level of attunement mm -hmm. that a newborn needs, but you're parenting mm -hmm. a 10 year old that way or a 15 mm -hmm. year old and you're doing it all day long, not just for one appointment. Mm -hmm. it, it is exhausting. Like this is yes. not an easy way nope. of being with kids, this level of attunement. And so maybe just talk a little bit about that or like, what you see in that or, or how yeah. you support parents through, because parents are, will say so repeatedly, like, I get, I get why we're wanting to parent our kids in this way, but it's so hard. Like, uh, how right. can I be that present and that attuned to them? Hey, I'm jumping into the middle of this episode real quick to share with you what this club member has to say about their time in the club. They say, what an incredible community. It was my first Connection Co-Regulate session just now, and it was so incredible to share stories and experiences. Perhaps it's even more profound being across the world from each other. Oh, I totally agree that the fact that the club has members from all corners of the world really does make the experience more profound. I want the club to give you parenting tools, but more than that, I want the club to undo the sense of aloneness. I want the club to create community and togetherness. And by bringing to people all over the world, we're able to do just that. The club is open from now until Friday, April 28th, and we would love to have you. Right. So I'll say that I think there's a couple of reasons why it's so hard. So first of all, anytime we learn a new skill, it's hard. Yes. So if, if you're coming in for this type of support, this type of therapeutic intervention, chances are this is not the parenting experience you received. Because again, if this is what you had, you're not coming into our therapy room. And so changing a changing a habit is hard enough. So thinking about like, Anyone who's tried to diet, anyone who's like, yeah, I'm going to start going to the gym even three times a week and how hard that is. And that's changing a habit. That's not changing physical and brain structures. Yeah. So having that constant level of attunement to yourself and that connection to, I have to constantly think about this because it's not how I operate. If I am born and bred and raised in this type of attunement and connection, it's not going to feel like a ton of work. But for those who are constantly working at it and are trying to parent a different way, of course, it's hard. You're changing, you're developing a whole new life skill. And it's not that you're just trying to get to the gym three times a week. It's you're living and breathing this. So you are changing as much as you are changing your child's brain structures and doing this, you're changing your own. And that is that is really, really hard. So for one and two, I mean, it really, I think it's a, it's a close connection is it forces you to take a real hard look at who you are and how you were raised and how you function in this world. Um, which you're like, I'm coming into therapy for my kiddo. I didn't think I was going to have to question everything about me. And that can be a really hard realization for parents. And to do that, that inside work of my own attachment, my own connection to other humans um, is, is really challenging. Um, and it is a lot of work in that it's your whole body coming into this. It's not just you setting a, a list of checklist of these are the things we're going to pay attention to today. It's not that simple. And so it's, it is hard and it is exhausting. And so um, Robin, I would imagine you do a lot of this as well, but so much of what I do in my parent work is helping to find supports. I know we talk a lot about 
self-care and it's a trigger word or a buzzword or whatever you want to call it, hyphenated word. Um, (laughs) But I think it's, it's so essential and everyone's self-care is going to look different. Is it that you take, you know, is it that you have time to zone out and watch Netflix for an hour each night? Is it that you have time to go and get a massage? Is it that you work out or is it, I mean, my partner, his self-care is his iPhone is waterproof. And so he takes his morning is 45 minutes in the shower and he sits and watches YouTube videos in the shower and that's his daily self-care. And you know what? That works for him. Yeah. And so I think that's such a piece. And what are your supports? Because my God, parenting, we've already said how many times I lost track, Robin, you could check it back of how many times we said parenting is hard, but having that support network, the parents who struggle the most are the ones who are so isolated, who don't have, um, whether it's biological family that's close to them, grandparents, cousins, sisters, brothers, whatever, or the family you make out of friends or your church community or your, you know, neighborhood community or your school community. I mean, the importance of saying like, I've got a doctor's appointment. Can someone take my kid for an hour so I can get to the doctor or I just, I'm tired. I can't be present today because I've got my own stuff going on and I need to tag out, right? Like, do you have a supportive partner who is parenting with you who you can tag in and tag out? Because if you don't have that, that also makes this so much harder. And so while this is tough, it's really important for us to think about what are the things that parents can do for themselves to take care of themselves, but then what are the, what's the community around them? What's their support network that can take care of them when they're in that moment, they can't take care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I know before we started recording, I was telling you about the, about the community that I have for parents now and it's called the club. And that really is, that was my motivation was how can, you know, these parents are when I knew when we lived in Austin, that it was really hard to find what, what you needed. And then you leave a city as like densely populated and, you know, full of resources like Austin, you leave a city like that. And then you really see so clearly how people Mm -hmm. just don't have what they need. They don't have the resources they need. They don't have the support they need. They don't have the community they need. And there's this byproduct when you're parenting a kid, I think any special needs child, um, and then there's like these behaviorally special needs children. And then also kids who struggle so much with connection, right? Like for mm-hmm. us to pour connection into these people that we love so much and not receive back the right. t- kind of typical serve and return of connection is so draining, so depleting, so isolating, so, so lonely. And it can become tra- traumatic in and of itself. Yep. Um, and so that was set my goal, really, when I started this virtual community that we call the club that, you know, I was telling you has become like my most favorite thing yeah. um, and what we're doing in there and the way that it, it it's not perfect. It's virtual. It's not a replacement for therapy, but man, does it offer that kind of experience of being seen and being known and where do Mm -hmm. I turn to, to get the connection and co-regulation that I need. Right. So that I then can parent my child in this, you know, kind of high needs way, right. This very output heavy way because it is depleting and to not Mm -hmm. recognize that I think is um, doing parents a real disservice, you know, to, I think we need to just be clear, like, yes, parenting children with special needs in this way is exhausting. And we need to find ways to support you so that to the best of your ability, Mm -hmm. you can be with your kid in the way, in this way that you want to. Right, right. And yeah, thinking about, I know we started out our discussion talking about how TheraPlay is global and other countries, other communities do this so so much better they do life better in a lot of ways in other (laughs) parts of the world (laughs) and so I also feel like for those parents who are in the United States in some ways we're just we have a lot of opportunities here in the U.S. but man are we 
our society is not set up to support parents in the way that other societies are. And, um, you know, not to say like, oh, well, that I will just get up and move to Denmark then. Right. Um, you know, that's not feasible or realistic, <laughs> but yeah. recognizing on those days where you're like, gosh, this feels so hard. You're not crazy. Right. Exactly. It is hard. And when there isn't a society and a, you know, depending on what your family situation is, friend situation, your local community situation is, you you might be realistically more isolated and that makes it extra hard. Yes, it does. The lo- loneliness can become traumatic without mm-hmm. So, or feeling like I'm the only one. There's always hope. I mean, I'm like, always hope. <laughs> I tend to lean even maybe more towards the excessive side of that. I tend to look on the, I tend to be, maybe at times overly optimistic about what we could do with certain situations. Um, but I do want people to know like, where can they go? Like if they're wondering how can I try to find a therapy therapist in my community, how can they do yeah. that? So um, if you go to the Fairplay website, which is just www.fairplay.org, and we do have um, some resources available on our website as well in the form of um, webinars. Um, We do also have some parenting books available on our website. So, um, you know, depending on where you are in your journey, you might not be in a place where you need ongoing therapy, but are like, yeah, I just need some extra tips and tricks and um, Robin's community is all I need. Then that's great too. Then check out our webinars, check out our books and that might be that might be enough for you yeah well thank you you and I have been talking for a very long time now because we talked (laughs) before we hit play and caught up and so it's just been lovely to reconnect and have this time to to be with you this afternoon I know you're really busy I appreciate you um, sharing your time with us this afternoon Thank you, Robin. I've so enjoyed it. I would be happy to come back anytime. Um, Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's always good to catch up with you. Yeah. Thanks, Mandy. Well, I told you that would be fun. Mandy is seriously a blast. We have gotten more than one sideways glance from folks out in public when we were laughing completely uncontrollably at honestly, who even knows what. I'm glad I got to introduce y'all. Definitely check out the Therapy Institute and the resources that are available to you, even if you can't get Therapy Therapy services at the Institute, including the book Parenting with Therapy and the activity book Parenting the Therapy Way. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I truly am just so, so grateful for you. Thank you for your commitment to kids and to families and for making the world a better place by embodying the science of relationships. I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory, 
so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash being with, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you could just head to my website Download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now and I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.